And Brother Dameron, come preach for us. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. And I have my I have my presentation for Zach, the Zachinator, the Zachmeister, the Zach, the Zachster. All right, right there. So he did the foreword to my book that has the worst cover ever. Okay, so he also gets a picture of the new cover to help him to promote it so that we can sell these, get rid of them, and then get the new one. All right, so Zach, I appreciate appreciate you doing that. So Zach, this is his copy, and afterwards, um, maybe I'll sign it, and that'll be worth millions someday when I'm famous, all right, or dead. That's normally when things are valuable okay so appreciate that uh that is back there uh so i i wrote that i also wrote this book actually wrote this for my sons uh this is my answer to joel olstein joel olstein says every day's a friday i don't know what world he lived in but i say every day is a tough day all right so uh and it's written it is written to teenagers but i've had adults buy it too and what they've said is it, help, it helps them. It does have some study in it, but it's five chapters on how to turn a tough day into a victorious day. And so um, took a long time, and then I rewrote it uh, this past year. So there's a number of uh, things in the back. We are running out. I think all the sermon series are about gone. Uh, if, if we have to, uh, we can ship a box here um, and get it here in the next week or two. But uh, we appreciate you uh, helping us out in that way. We, we do want to have good materials. And that's one of the things uh, through the seminary. That's our prayer is uh, to promote, promote good authors, uh, good materials that can help people grow in the Lord. And some even understand what it means to be a Baptist. Understanding uh, that we are different. We're different. and But we don't have to hang our head. We don't have to hang our head that we're different than everybody else. Also appreciate Pastor Bishop and your hospitality and the food and the fellowship. Well, the food. Um, we'll just say, <laughs> but appreciate the time that we have to spend together. So we're going to talk this evening. We're going to look and study in Genesis chapter 24. It's an interesting, it's an interesting story, but it's a story that to me, as I read it and as I looked at this man, it is Abraham's servant. So Abraham's servant is given a huge task. Now, maybe you wouldn't think it's big, but it's pretty big. It's a pretty big task that he has handed. And so we're going to look at the idea of faithfulness, of faithfulness. It is a characteristic that some people think they understand, but we're going to try to look at it with a, a biblical understanding. So faithful in a Christian terminology means full of faith. Full of faith. Uh, and, and a faithfulness is an adherence. It's an exact and attendance to commands. So faithfulness for a believer is a little bit different than the world. Because for the world, being faithful means that you show up at work and you're there all the time. And uh, maybe it's in class, you're a teacher, and so you're faithful. Well, as a Christian, faithfulness is a little bit different because my faithfulness is tied to the book. That's what it is, because my faith, I'm full of faith and I want to be faithful. So I'm going to be exact in attendance to God's command. So sometimes somebody may not consider me faithful in this world, but I'm faithful to God. And in heaven, what I want to hear is not accolades from the world. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And my faithfulness is not determined by just this life as far as adherence to the people down here. It's adherence to this book. What does God say? What does God want me to do? And sometimes in our life, as far as faithfulness and trusting God, we may not see everything. And that's hard. 
Especially as a, as a man, you want to be in charge and you want to see and you want to plan. And sometimes God says, you're not going to see it. I'm going to, I'm going to throw something at you. And there are examples throughout scripture. For instance, one great example is Job. What did Job do? Well, towards the end of the book of Job, you find out that Job got a little proud about some things. But really, all in all, Job, the Bible says, God said this about Job. He was upright. He hated, he hated evil. And Satan was like, yeah, but can I, can I kill his family? Yeah, okay. Well, can I do this? Oh, okay. Can I take everything? Remember, Satan is there and God brings up Job. Because God considered Job, what, faithful. He considered him faithful. Well, my challenge to us this, uh, tonight is, so what are some characteristics of a faithful person? And how does God consider us? Does he look down and say, well, this person is faithful. I can throw some things at them and they won't just give up. They won't just quit. They'll be faithful and adherence to God's command. One man wrote a poem many years ago. It's a, a classic, I would say, when it comes to the idea of staying true, staying faithful. He wrote it this way. I like the man who faces what he must with step triumphant and a heart of cheer, who fights the daily battle without fear, sees his hopes fell, yet keeps unfaltering trust that God is God, that somehow true and just his plans work out for mortals. Not a tear is shed when fortune, which the world holds dear, falls from his grasp. He does his best, nor ever murmurs at his humbler lot, but with a smile and words of hope gives zest to every toiler. He alone is great, who by a life heroic conquers faith. There was a man that once wrote this, when the morning's freshness has been replaced by the weariness of midday, when the leg muscles quiver under the strain, the climb seems endless, and suddenly nothing will go as you wish, it is then that you must not hesitate. What was he indicating? Faithfulness is not when everything is going good for you, you're like, oh, I'll be at church. Hey, I'll give. Everything is happy. You know, when you wake up every morning... It's not Disney World. It's not. Uh, yeah. Because that'd be creepy for some, you know. It would be. You know, I wouldn't want to wake up looking at that mouse with the ears. I'd be like, ah! All right. That might be a nightmare. But it's not. I think sometimes we, we think, well, once, once I get saved, you know, I'm going to wake up and there's going to be, you know, just... Uh, uh, angels surrounding me, fluttering around, and it's a small world. Is this going to be uh, humming in my ears? No, sometimes you get saved, and you get hit upside the head. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought everything, I thought everything was supposed to be great. Well, it is, actually, because your eternity now is set. And actually, the devil, as far as, as far as, uh, the world and the devil, all they can do is make this life as tough as possible because the forever is taken care of. Forever. Um, forever your salvation is settled. And that's the awesomeness about knowing God. But then the other thing that happens after salvation is once I am saved, I'm not alone in the fight. Not by myself. Christ comes, the Holy Spirit comes to abide, and I have a battle partner. In the, in the Bible, you have a word for the Holy Spirit. Okay? The word for the Holy Spirit uh, is called paraclete. Alright? So that is the word comforter. Now, the reason I always remember it is because I love soccer. And I remember my teacher saying, if you're having a problem, remember paraclete. It's a paraclete. I've never forgotten it because I like soccer. Now, that may be a little irreverent to you. All right. But 
I've never forgotten it. Well, some say in studying the etymology of the word comforter is that in Roman culture, the Roman soldiers would get a battle partner and they would go back to back. And guess what that battle partner was called? A comforter, a paraclete. Now you think about this. What you and I have when we're saved is a battle partner that is God. And he wants to battle with us. So when the devil comes and says, so see, it's, you got saved and it's so tough. You know what? Just turn around and say, face him, dude. Face my battle partner. And let the Holy Spirit just cold cock him. Because the Holy Spirit is there as a battle partner. That's why the Holy Spirit can help me to become faithful. I can be faithful when I rely on Him, not in my own strength. This evening, I want to look at this idea of faithfulness. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this evening. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would give us wisdom, guidance. As always, Lord, I pray that You would give me sustaining grace, grace that would enable us to take the precious Word of God that's been preserved for us, Lord, to give it to Your Folks that have gathered this evening, I pray that you would do that which I cannot do, and that is speak to hearts. We ask and claim your power in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in Genesis chapter 24, we're going to read a number of verses. We'll read verses 1 through 6. So let's stand and we'll read 1 through 6. We'll do like this morning, and we'll read it responsively down to verse 6. I'll start in verse 1. And Abraham was old, well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things together. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not thy son thither again. You may be seated. So we're going to look at this servant. Here is Abraham's servant. And he's been given a big task. Now, maybe as a young man, you're like, well, what's the big deal? Now, I think that there's there's some uh, ladies here <laughs> that would be like, what? maybe some men. They'd be like, all right, so dad's getting up in years. He's sitting there and uh, he can't really get out of his couch or his recliner. And so he's like, yo, yo, Joe, come on over here. Now, if you don't know Joe, he's the servant in the house. And so he's the butler. All right. And they're like, hey, Joe, the butler, come on over here. So Joe comes over and there you are. You're like, hey, Joe, I just seem I can't make it anymore. But, you know, my son over there, like, you know, see my son over there. Yeah, Willie. All right. Now, Willie's over here and my son, Willie, you know, it's not much to look at, but he needs a woman. That's what he needs. Would you go find, Willie, a woman? <laughs> I will do that. Now, can you imagine that? All right. That, that's a pretty big task. All right. You got to go and find. I mean, I mean, what kind of what kind of hair? Does you, you know, what is it supposed to look like? All right. All, all these different things. So this is a big task. So I look at it as I, you know, went to started studying faithfulness in the Bible. And I looked at this servant and it reminded me of how God looks down at us and he'd like to trust us with some things. Just like Abraham trusted this servant. And this is a big thing that is being trusted with this servant. But God trusts us with some big things. He wants to rely on us. So I want to look at four different things that this servant Shows us notice, um, notice, and and also I don't have time to get into it for sake of time. But in the Bible, look up and study 
faithfulness in the Bible. You will find faith and faithfulness all through Scripture. Just the word faithful is found 78 times in the Bible. The Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, for instance, um, God is called faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God. So when we exhibit faithfulness, what are we showing to the world? We're showing a picture of our God. And so part of that is when we go through tough things and we're faithful to the Word of God and we're faithful to God, that is a testimony to the world of what our God is like. He's faithful. And when we are His children, He imparts into us what? His, His Son's image. And part of that image, God is faithfulness. So as I grow in the image of Christ and His Son, guess what should be exhibited in my life? Faithfulness. Being faithful. Uh, there's other passages um, in the... The Word of God is called faithful. All thy commandments are faithful. The testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. You also see people in the Bible that were faithful. Uh, Christ said this in Matthew 24, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? So we're going to look at this idea of being faithful. Faithfulness. So, what does it mean to be faithful? So, first of all, Abraham, notice in this passage, Abraham trusted him wholly. Abraham trusted him wholly. So, can, can God trust us with things? Can God trust you with some things? And I think that we have to grow in our, in our knowledge of the Lord. We have to grow in our sanctification. But I believe God wants to entrust us. Do we find that borne out in Scripture? Yes. Remember the parable of the talents? The parable of the talents, uh, there was one, uh, one was given one, one was given two, one was given five. And at the end, the owner comes back and he and he gives, gives an account of their stewardship. And there was five, and the five had gotten another five, the two had gotten another two, and the one, what did he do? He went and buried it. The five and the two, what did the owner say? Well done, thou good and faithful. So God wants to, one of the points of that message is God gives us things. He entrusts us with those abilities and we are supposed to be a steward. Now, most of us, when we're saying faithfulness, and uh, I was talking with Pastor Bishop, and he was saying that January is your stewardship, and some of you are already like cringing because you're like, no, 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 you're not going to talk about it, are you? <laughs> yeah, money, 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 money. All right? But sometimes that's all we think about. But there's a lot of other things. So uh, this semester at the seminary, I'm teaching on time. And personal development. I love studying time and personal development. I, it sounds odd, but when I was in high school, I started studying it and reading on it. I, I love thinking about time and how to use time and being efficient with time. I just enjoy it. It's just something that I've uh, done all my life. And so this is what's interesting as I was studying and reviewing some things. Do you know how many hours there are in a week? I believe it's 168. So I've heard this all the time with even most of the time it's backslidden people like, you know what? I give Sunday to the Lord and I give this and this and this. But really, do you give all Sunday to the Lord? You really don't. What you give is about five hours or six hours on Sunday. So take a tithe of 168 hours. A tithe. 17 hours. So did you do that this week? And stop crabbing. Stop crabbing about coming to church. Stop crabbing about going soul winning. Stop crabbing about, oh, i got to read my Bible. Wow, that sounds so happy. I just want to be a Christian hanging out with you. But really, God wants to trust us with things. 
But can he trust us? Remember in the Bible, it says, all right, so think about this, even in the area of finances. What did God say when it comes to finances? If he can't trust you with filthy mammon, how can I trust you with the better things? That's faithfulness. So one of the tests for God is giving you money and saying, what are you going to do with it? And when every time you get it, you know, <laughs> oh, here's ten dollars. Now I remember when I was a little kid. Here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Mine, one's God's. Oh, that's so hard. Sure seems like you got most of it, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not really a math scholar, but I'm pretty sure that you got a lot of it. But we crab about that 10%, don't we? So God says, wait a minute. I'm watching and I'm blessing you. I give you a job. I give you the ability to work. And with the filthy mammon, because really, in the whole scope of things, money comes and money goes. It's just money comes and money goes. And hey, if you're, if you're running low, just print more of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just print a whole lot more of it. Oh, I'm sorry. All right, but but really, money comes and money goes. And what does God say? I, I'm giving you some of these things because I want to see that you're faithful. So can God trust us? This is what amazes me. God has trusted his church with the gospel. So how good are you doing with it? I mean, Pastor, he not only wants our cash, and then he wants me to come here on Sundays, and then he's having a, like a midweek thing, and then he's scheduling these visitation times, and we're supposed to go tell people that we like God. <laughs> well, really? I don't know. In your attitude, I'm thinking you shouldn't do it. I don't know that you're going to convince anybody that it's a good thing. But God has given his church the gospel. I struggle with that with, uh, as a young person. Even in college years, you try to look at it. But really, God is amazing because uh, when you study theology, the church is where the gospel kind of was entrusted to. I know individually, so individually. But I, I always thought, so how am I supposed to reach the world? Do you know that that's the Great Commission? Go ye into all the world. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not omnipresent. How can I be here and also reach the western states of America? How can I be here and be in Asia? A church can't. A church can't, actually. Because you bring tithes into the storehouse, then you pray over missionaries, and then in different churches we're reaching the world with the gospel. But also, you have to reach here. So how are you going to reach here? If you never talk about it. If you never invite anybody to church, if you're never personally, there are people that need to be saved. And this sounds bad, but there's people that will probably, you will come in contact with, and you can share the gospel with them, and they'll never come to church here. But if you never open your mouth, they'll never know. You see, we have been entrusted with some things. So Abraham's servant was trusted holy. That's an amazing thing. It was a big task. And if God is, if God is gonna count, look down and see us as being faithful, can He trust us wholly? There's a funny poem that was written many, many years ago. And I think that it was written by a Baptist pastor. It says there were four men. Named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. But everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about it because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, and nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. 
It ended up that everybody blamed somebody and nobody did that job that anybody could have done in the first place. Now, it's a silly poem, again, written by a Baptist pastor. But what was the point? We all like to come up with excuses. Well, I would do it. I would do this. Back in March, I moved to Iowa for a number of months, about six months. And there in Iowa, I met a man named Jerry. That's 77 years old. Jerry's retired, 77, and he loves soul winning. I got there in March, and Dubuque is freezing. I think every minute of every day of every day of the year. No, but it isn't. Actually, in May, it warmed up, I think, to 20 degrees. But it was freezing in March. And we were just, we were in the process. Uh, we had a home in Indiana, and we were going to sell that. We were moving temporarily, and then asking God where he'd move us next. So I didn't want to move everything. So I didn't pack all my winter stuff. So I go there, and I was traveling some on the weekend. So I thought, well, you know what? They announced Thursday night soul winning. I thought I'd go soul winning. So I get signed up next to Jerry. So we go out. And it's soul winning is six to eight. All right. When we're out there and we're knocking on doors and within like 27 minutes, it could have been 27 seconds. I was freezing, freezing. And so we're knocking on doors and there was another group. And uh, while we're out there, uh, they were able to lead some of the Lord. We're able to talk to a couple people about Christ and and we notice them. So we gather outside. We're praying and within like an hour and ten minutes, we see somebody saved. We've talked to a number of people. We come back together, and it's 7.20. It's about 7.20, and I'm saying, I can't feel anything anymore. All right? I don't know if I have toes. I think frostbite is setting in. So we come back. I mean, we've seen somebody saved. We've done all this, and it's get, I mean, it's almost pitch dark, feeling creepy, walking up to the doors. And we come back, and here's this 77-year-old guy. And he looks, and he, look, he goes, ah, 726. He goes, we get about 34 minutes. We can go right around the corner, and we can finish up. And I'm like, holy cow. What in the world? Let's just get in the car and praise the Lord in warmth. So we get out, and we do more. 8 o'clock the next day, I came to the pastor. I was like, all right, I don't know if you know about... Brother Jerry, he is like the soul-winning Marine Corps. The guy doesn't, he's an animal. What, what kind of dudes do you have here? But you know what? It challenged me. At 77, he's still out. You know what I found out about that guy? He's retired. Every day he goes for a minimum of two to three hours soul-winning. Every day. Amen. Sharing, and I was like, you the man. <laughs> but you know what? God looked down and he saw this man. And he said, I can trust him with the gospel. It doesn't matter. You'd say, 77, I'm at the twilight of my years. I'm going to kick back. Every time I saw him, he also was talking to me about a book, a gospel book that he was reading. And he was like, hey. I got this book. You know, the library can order any book for you. So he's there at the library ordering Christian books for them to order, get in for him. I'm like, wow, Jerry, here's a guy you would think that, hey, let's slow down. But in the service of God, he's like, hey, I got more time. That's what God wants from us to be faithful. Notice, secondly, in this passage. Let's look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. So Abraham trusted him wholly. Notice the servant now. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. What does that seem to indicate? 
The servant took his job seriously. Now, I worked with teenagers for a long time, 20 years. I still enjoy teenagers. I like torturing them, doing different things like that. That's one of the funnest things you can do. But that's why I twitch every once in a while. You may notice that. But it's interesting because there were some people that if you needed work done, it was amazing when you would bring a group of teens and you're like, all right, we're going to tackle this job. It was amazing. The teenagers, they just all of a sudden, they're like, oh, hey, can I go, can I go find a tool? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, right down there. And when the job is done, I call them the human callus. They show up when the work's done. Right? They were the human calluses. Because basically we're all in there and all of a sudden tool man comes back. He has the tool and we're done. We're like, didn't you go try to find that an hour and a half ago? Oh, yeah. But you know what? It was locked. The door was locked and this and this. Like, come on, man. Well, guess what that indicates? And we understand that with a young person or a teenager. We understand that with a little kid. But some of us as adults, when it comes to responsibilities in the Christian life and in the church, we don't take it serious. You take it serious if it's the McDonald's manager. Yeah, I got to show up there. I got to make the fries. You're like, it's fries, dude. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. But you take more interest in the fries and the making of the fries or a Big Mac than you do the things of God here. You see, God should be able to count on us that we take our job seriously. You notice that that's what this man did. He took his job seriously. Many years ago, Michelangelo was painting those frescoes on the high ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. He spent hours on his back, if you've read a little bit about it. It was on a scaffolding, perfecting the detail of each figure. A friend one time came to him and said, why do you take such pains? He said, you know what? Nobody is going to be able to see all that detail. You know what Michelangelo said? I will. I will. So what about you? When you're given a responsibility at the church. It's Sunday school. Ah, you know what? Oh, I'm so busy with work. So the Sunday school kids don't deserve somebody studying and praying for them? They don't, they don't deserve somebody that uh, prays over them and prays over the, the message and takes some time over it? Like, oh, you don't understand. Work. So this isn't work? This is God's work. It's serious. So let me ask you this. So the work that you're doing at work, what will it matter in 50 years? What will it matter in 100 years? But what about one of those children? If they accept Christ, does that matter in 50 years? Does it matter in 100 years? Yes. I'm glad growing up that I had, I can still remember Sunday school teachers and their lessons. I still can. I can still remember sitting around the tables and having a Sunday school, uh, Sunday school teacher come in and put up the flannel graph sometimes or maybe have some other things, some question and answer. I can still remember that. I'm glad that they cared. I'm glad that they studied. I'm glad that they took their job seriously. Notice in chapter 24 again. So let's go to verse 10. So Abraham has come and he's presented the task to his servant. Notice in verse 10. And the servant, right between verse 9, the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, swear to him concerning that matter. And then verse 10, and the servant took ten camels of his master and departed. Does it seem like there's a big gap there? It doesn't. And I don't think there's a big gap in the story. So, what is it? What's a characteristic of a faithful person? How can God consider me to be faithful? 
Well, can he trust me wholly? Do I take the job seriously? But then, do I take action immediately? You know, some people just dilly-dally. Right? It doesn't matter. And I know I'm not trying to get between husbands and wife here tonight when you're getting to church. I understand it. It could take you. You need to start prepping to get to the car at 1 o'clock for the 6 o'clock service. I understand that. There's some of you, you're like, hey, service is tonight, so just go ahead and start. It's 1 o'clock. All right, I understand that. Or, you know, you get the reputation. If service is at 6 o'clock, we need to tell you 5.30. All right, just so you'll get here by 6.30. But what I'm saying is, and, and, and the Bible has a lot to say about haste. We're not supposed to be hasty. I understand that. But there are certain things that God, it's very clear, I just need to do it. So, one of those things, when we're sharing the gospel, we tell people that. So, should somebody wait to get saved? No! What do we say? Today is the day of salvation. Do that now. Don't wait. Don't delay. Because one of the devil's tactics is put it off. Put it off. Put it off. But you don't know what a day may bring forth. But in the same way, once we're saved, there are things that God has told us to do. We'll do it. I mean, so you say, wait a minute. I just need to think now that I'm saved about coming to church. Why do you got to think about? God said, get to church. Well, I, I need to think and kind of process this Bible thing about reading the Bible. What do you got to process? Get in the book. See, there are some things that it becomes very clear. God lays it out for us. Then get at it. Like, well, I just need to understand. Well, you're not, you're not going to get it. Sometimes, this is what I found. Sometimes my understanding comes of what God, as far as the theology, sometimes the understanding comes as I move ahead in faith. Remember, faithfulness in faith. As I move ahead, because God told me to do something, in faith I move ahead, not understanding all of it. I'm following Him because He's God. He's worthy of my faithfulness to Him. He is a righteous God. He's a holy God. He's worthy to be trusted. So in faith, I step out in obedience, and guess what God does? Sometimes as I'm heading down the road, God says, see, this is why. But what I found is people that hang out back here questioning all the time, they never get it. They never get it. They stay in critical world. They stay in lackadaisical world. And they don't move ahead spiritually like they should. I've met Christians, if we could take spiritual glasses or maybe different type of glasses and put them on. I've met Christians that that basically are about 40 years old as a Christian and they're sucking their thumb. I walk up to them and spiritually it's like, whack, whack, whack. I'm like, I'm not getting what you're saying. Could you say it again? Like, yeah. And I'm like, I, I, I'm not understanding that. Right, and they stand there in their onesie, right, and they're, you've been a Christian for 40 years old, and your baby bottle's sitting there. I'm like, come on, get up, get going, get moving, grow. But some of our growth is by us learning to be faithful to what God tells us to do. And when God says do something, do it. Do it. Why dilly-dally about it? This servant understood this was an important task. He took it seriously and he did it immediately. Notice the last thing here as far as in our text. Look at the later in the text. We'll start in verse 54. Look at verse 54. I think this is interesting. So God wants us to be faithful. God desires that of us. So what does it tell us here as far as faithfulness? Notice in verse 54. And they did eat 
and drink, he and the men that were with him and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning and he said, send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days at the least ten. After that, she shall go. And he said unto them, I love this. I love the phrase. I'm going to use this sometime. Hinder me not. I just want to use it sometime. All right. So, Pastor Bishop, Pastor, you're going to ask me to do something. Hinder me not. All right. Hinder me not. All right. But that's what he says. Hinder me not. Seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Listen, and they said, we will call the damsel and inquire in her mouth. And they called Rebecca and said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servants, and his men. Now, it seemed like a reasonable request. I mean, here he comes and he says, hey, you know, I, uh, my master Abraham, and you know the story. I'm, I'm trying to find a wife. Rebecca seems like the right one. And so they, oh, I, I think it might be true. And then they come. Let's eat. They eat over a meal and they have a good time. Uh, they're fellowshipping. And then he says, all right, I need to go. Like, well, can, can we just have 10 days? You're like, oh, that's pretty reasonable. But guess what? His job wasn't wait, to wait 10 days. His job was to finish the job completely. What some of us do? We're still in that waiting, hanging on. And I'm not talking about waiting on the Lord. I'm talking about something you know you're supposed to do. Again, I'm, I'm teaching on procrastination or, or on time. And one of the biggest things that hinders us is procrastination. We just put it off. There are some things it's good to put off. All right. As men, it's great to put off washing the dishes, vacuuming the house, um, doing the laundry. I agree. Those are great things to put off. All right. Push that up. But you know what? There are things that God has told us to do, and we say tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Can you think of people in the Bible that it was dangerous when they said tomorrow? I think of, is it King Agrippa or Felix that said tomorrow? Almost thou persuadest me. Almost. That's a dangerous term, isn't it? Almost. But he was still lost. We see that almost. Tomorrow. No, we, we can't wait tomorrow. One of the classics is in the book of Exodus, and there's sermons that you can look up. Famous sermons, and people have duplicated it over and over, because Pharaoh, during the time of Moses and the plagues, and Pharaoh is, is coming in, and Moses and Pharaoh are having these standoff. And remember the, the plague of the frogs? So there's a famous sermon called, One More Night. With the frogs. You know why? Because if you read the text, every time I read it, it cracks me up. Because Pharaoh comes and it says, it describes, they said there was heaps of frogs and they stinketh. So heaps of frogs. And Pharaoh is tired of it and he says, get these frogs out of there. And so Moses says, I'll do it. I will go to God and I will stop the plague of the frogs. And Pharaoh says, one more night. And you're like, what is up with you? You just want to hang out with them? All right, you want a little more because you're doing frog legs for the whole country? All right, why do you want them one more night? Get rid of them. But see, that's what some of us do. We don't finish the job completely. God asked you. What did he ask you? He asked you. To be a soul winner. He asked you to share the gospel. Tomorrow. No, no, no. Tonight do it. Find somebody tonight. Put it down. You say, well, man, I haven't handed out a track in all last year. Then this week, hand out one and make yourself do it. You'd say, well, wait a minute. I know I haven't really prayed that much. I haven't really, I haven't really prayed that much last year. Well, then this week, tonight, start. And you'd say, well, how much? Start with five minutes. Five minutes is better than none. You'd say, well, where should I? I've got to read the Bible. Then start reading the Bible. Start it. 
Because you know what? Sometimes just pushing yourself to start will help you to complete the task. We should be known as people that finish what God has asked us to do. Now, God may change. He may change what we're doing. But are we faithful to God? When I started into ministry, I started as a youth pastor. My desire was to be the youth, a youth pastor the rest of my life. That's what I thought God wanted. But God said, no. This is what I want. And then, again, uh, because of just my understanding, it, it took me a, a little while to understand. I thought, well, wait a minute. God called me to do this. No, my faithfulness is to him. He knows the plan for my life. So what I have to do is just stay faithful to him and his book. That's what he's wanting. That's what he wants for you. He may change sometimes a, a vocation. He may change a direction in life. But are you faithful to him? That's what he wants. It's not just faithfulness to a man. It's not just faithfulness uh, to, to a place... Uh, now, I'm not saying be unfaithful to church. When God calls you to that place, you're faithful to it. Why? Because that's God's calling. Right. So I'm not, I'm not uh, contradicting myself, but ultimately, my faithfulness is to God and His Word. Amen. Because someday I'm going to stand before Him. And everything is going to be laid out. All my words, all my deeds... And will he be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or will, as the book of Corinthians say, will it be burnt up as wood, hay, and stubble? God wants us to be faithful. During the Korean War, there was a man that buried himself in the muck and mud of a pigsty except for his nose and mouth. And he stayed there for eight days and eight nights rather than betray his buddies and surrender to the enemy. Sometimes I read about stories of men that just held on and were faithful. And it encourages me. George Mueller, it said, prayed for 52 years for a certain man to come to Christ. Think about that. 52 years. A pastor visited an elderly man 21 times before being allowed in. 21 times. Hello? Hello? 21 times. I know of a, a pastor. He's in heaven today. A pastor that is in heaven. And there was another pastor that went around and did the same thing. Knocked on his doors and he didn't want him there. He didn't. He would yell at him. He would do whatever to get him out of there. But the pastor kept going and he got saved and he became a pastor. Because somebody said, wait a minute, I'm going to be faithful. I'm not telling you. No, don't, don't sit here and say that, wait a minute, I have this bozo you know, at work, and I'm going to irritate him. And the pastor, there was a visiting guy, and he said, irritate him. Now, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when God nudges you to do something, be faithful to it no matter the outcome. Sometimes, in the philosophy world, we call it pragmatism. And in pragmatism, what you do is, if I get the result, it meant I did right. Well, you don't find that in Scripture. Sometimes you do what God tells you to do, and it doesn't always go right. Think of some of the apostles. If you're going to base that, like the end justifies that you did what was right. I'm thinking Paul didn't like it. I mean, Paul got his head chopped off. You know that, right? John the Baptist did. John the Baptist, his ministry was pretty short. So he'd say, oh, what a failure. No. He was a forerunner of Christ. Paul the Apostle, half the New Testament we have because of him. We wouldn't have that if he didn't say, wait, it doesn't matter the outcome. I'm going to be faithful to the end to God.
God has called me to a, a task. And what did Paul say? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. So why was he doing that? Because God requires faithfulness. Faithfulness. Frances Habergill wrote a couple of songs. She wrote a song, I gave my life for thee. She wrote a song, take my life and let it be. She wrote these hymns and a lot more. Listen to what Frances Habergill said about being faithful. Of ourselves, we may have but little weights, no particular talents or position or anything else to put into the scale. But let us remember that again and again, God has shown that the influence of a very average life, when really consecrated to him, may outweigh that of almost any number of merely professing Christians. You know what God wants from us? To be faithful. Abraham's servant. We don't even know his name. Don't know his name. But a chapter is designated to him. Abraham was trusted wholly. Abraham trusted him wholly. The servant took his job seriously. The servant took action immediately. And he finished his job completely. Are you faithful? God has called us to do a work. Can he trust you with it? Can he trust you that you're going to take it serious? Is he going to tr- can he trust you that when he tells you something to do, you're not going to dilly-dally around? You're going to get at it? And you'll finish the job completely. May God help us to be faithful. Heads bowed, eyes closed this evening. What about you this evening? What about you this evening? Did God nudge you in some area of faithfulness? He speak to you this evening and say, hey, you know what? When it comes to God's work, I've counted the world's work a little more important. Oh, I'm faithful to that. I've got trophies. I've got watches. I've got medallions. I am the most faithful, worldly worker. But what about in God's work? Can you be counted faithful? Heavenly Father, bless the invitation time. Help us to be a people that you can count on to be faithful with the task you call us to do. Thank you for the invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand with heads bowed, eyes closed.